Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 90, International Jewish Educator, Adrian Gold. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. She was a Canadian TV personality for well over a decade and committed career suicide after 9-11 when her Esther moment arrived. She could not be a live TV personality and stay quiet when people pointed their fingers at her people, the Jews, for the tragedy of 9-11. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. I have international Jewish educator Adrian Gold. You heard that right. There was this juncture in time, which led to her career pivot, and led by the hand of God, answering his call to action, she has now touched the lives of thousands of Jewish women all over the globe. How did that career pivot, as well as a tremendous transformation in her life, take place? How did she come to her role with Jewish Women's Renaissance Project, JWRP? What would she tell her younger self? How would she define Judaism in one word? And so many more insights. You do not want to miss them. By the way, you should probably take notes. It's really, really insightful, jam-packed with incredible information. And by the way, how cool is that this amazing lady called me the Jewish Oprah? How do you like that? And of course, Murphy's Law. We weren't recording anymore. So no, I don't have that moment. I mean, I have it in my mind. But take my word for it. She did. And although I've heard that before... When Adrian Gold tells you you're the Jewish Oprah, whoa, it's just really one of those moments. All right, ladies, here's the amazing Adrian Gold. Adrian Gold, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm delighted, actually. And this is my first experience with you because I've actually not heard your podcast before. Oh, my gosh. Well, what what are we waiting for? <laughs> no, you'll have to understand I'm so technologically um, behind that I only just got an iPhone. So I'm like learning how to do all of these things now. So as soon as we're done, of course, I'm going to start listening immediately. Oh, my gosh. I, I, will, I, will, I will hook you up. Don't you worry. And I can't wait to dive in. First of all, I want to publicly thank you because um, I don't think my listeners are aware, but you've been a wonderful coach to me over the past few months. I'm part of a pilot program that you were spearheading for JWRP, the Empowered Speakers Training Program, to try to build a solid network of women who can replicate what you've so aptly created and the success that you've had touching Jewish women from all over the world um, who've joined the Momentum Trip um, and the Year of Learning for JWRP. And so uh, thank you. It's just been so fun to get to learn from you and interact with you over the past few months. You know, Yale, it's really interesting you should mention that here. I I was thinking the other day how unusual and how refreshing it is that now instead of sort of withholding our secrets and our special sauce, if you will, from others, there seems to be a new era of female empowerment that comes from sharing our secrets as opposed to guarding them so so carefully. Collaboration, 100%. And this is, by the way, how the women are going to change the world. (laughs) Not competing, collaborating. I'm 100% sure. sure of that. And of course, you've done, you've 
built all of this alongside our good friend, Laurie Palatnik, who was a guest on this show on episode 61. So all of that to say welcome and how happy I am to have you on the show. Before we get to your current role at JWRP, and I know many of my listeners were have been part of the Momentum trip, so they're familiar with you and your work, and they're going to be so excited to listen from you. I'd like you to take us back to your life as a TV personality, a Canadian TV personality. You were Uh a Canadian fashion and beauty TV personality for many years. So how did the transition into international Jewish educator happen? Well, you know, this is, (coughs) excuse me, this is, um, this is a complex and multifaceted response. So I'm going to give it to you on one foot. And if you don't mind, because it's close to Purim, I think I'm going to I'm going to reference something that happened that was extraordinary in 2001. Is that okay? Oh my gosh, I love it. Go for it. Okay, so I was studying Jewish wisdom. I was just a few years into my education. And ironically, I think it was the end of August or very early in September that I happened to be studying Jewish women of, of, of valor. And the one we had just finished doing was Esther, Queen Esther of the Purim story. So I was driving my children doing carpool on my way to um, a school that they went to quite far from where we live. And on the way home, it was a Monday morning, mm-hmm. I turned on the radio. And as I was listening, I heard the horror of a plane smashing into the World Trade Center. Mm. And unfortunately, I thought that this was like, you know, the Orson Welles War of the Worlds. I thought it was some kind of gag, some radio gag. And so I turned the station, not interested in listening to something like that. And there it was on the next station. And then I turned it again to my favorite hip hop station. And it was on that too. And I thought something is going on. And I was very close to the synagogue where I'd been studying. And I decided that I was going to drive directly there. And I did. And I found the rabbis surrounding a tiny little television watching this horrific incident. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the rabbis is the rabbi who I was learning about Esther with. And you should know that at those times, I was on live television. And live television is a very interesting beast. I mean, there are a couple of seconds where you can bleep something out, but fundamentally, you go live right into taping. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the newscaster on the show that I was working on said something vile, like, look, they're giving out sweets and celebrating in the streets of Palestine. And I had this visceral reaction. And I said, there is no Palestine. That's mm-hmm. Israel. And I phoned the station. I called the control room. And in a quite hysterical manner, including using all kinds of swear words that I'm a little ashamed of today, I started to scream at them saying, could you please control the way this is being delivered? I think on some level I knew, as all things tragic that happened in the world, the finger would point back at the Jews. Hmm. And I watched with them and watched this unfold. And as I was leaving the building, this particular rabbi came up to me and he said, Adrian, there's something I want to say to you. And I said, what's that? And he quoted directly from McGillis Esther. And he said to me, Esther, you need to discuss this. And don't think that if you don't, that we won't have salvation or redemption from some other place. But also don't believe that you are safe in the palace. And I looked at him. I didn't understand. Hmm. He said, this is your Esther moment, Adrian. You are in live television. It's time for you to talk, start talking about what it is to be a Jew, that you are becoming an observant Jew. You need to have this discussion. And I said to him, well, you know, short of telling people what, you know, handbag they should wear with their shoes or, you know, what is fashionable in beauty and in makeup and in fashion this season, I'm not really sure where I can worm that into my presentations. And he said, I will help you find a way. Hmm. And it was an interesting thing. But the next day, I went live to television and I proceeded to commit career suicide. I started to find ways 
to reference Israel and my Jewish identity. And I was repeatedly censored by my producers, told to, you know, keep my agenda outside of the work that I did. In fact, one amusing phrase I was told by letter was that I should get back in Banana Republic and get out of the Republic of the world, go back where you belong. Yeah. Wow. And I decided that the training and the voice that I had developed over almost 15 years on camera could be used to share that which what I was learning. And even though I was such a neophyte, so freshly new into Jewish observance and into Jewish education, I decided that this was a, a time for me. And when my contract was finished and definitely not renewed, I can assure you, Hmm. I went directly to the synagogue where I was learning and said I wanted a job. And they said to me, well, you know, what have you got to offer? And I said, I have a big fan base. And as it says in our teachings, you only have to be one class ahead of your student. And that was close to 20 years ago where I began the shift from fashion television personality to Torah teacher because I found my Esther moment and I embraced it. Wow, what a powerful story. And let me tell you, this gives us so much to think about because I strongly believe that each and every one of us has that Esther moment, right, in our life. Every day. Yes. Every day, Yael. Every yes. moment, every decision. Are you familiar with that fantastic quote by Viktor Frankl? He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And that space is our ability to choose our response. Exactly. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Yes, Exactly, exactly. Now, so you take this leap of faith, you leave your thriving career, probably very well remunerated. At this point, you are, are you a hundred, have you and your family made a full transition into Jewish observance at this point or not yet? We are, I would say, well, first of all, no one's ever a hundred percent there. Yes, good point. Jewish Thank you. is not all or nothing. A hundred percent, yes. But I was definitely beginning to identify primarily as a Jew, it became my primary source of identification rather than, you know, mother, wife, woman, mm -hmm, fashionista. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Instead, I started to see myself first as a Jew. It became primary in my identity. So, you know, I was certainly a fair ways along in my journey. But, you know, you mentioned remuneration. I literally had to go and sing for my supper, if you will. The uh, rabbis took me to a very wealthy benefactor of the Jewish community to tell him why he should front my salary for the first two years of my career wow. so that the shul could afford to pay me. And apparently there was some television or movie star in Israel who had a similar Balchuva journey. Mm -hmm. And there was a precedent for someone doing this, and he agreed to do that. And if it wasn't for this incredibly generous benefactor, I would not have had the job that has turned into a career. Wow, wow. So how does your husband and your, well, your boys were young then, but how does your husband react to this? Is he supportive? Is he thinking, this is crazy, we can't do this? What is he saying throughout all this? <laughs> I should be completely transparent here. There was another factor that played into this. I don't generally discuss this, Yael, because I don't want people to think that if they made the choices that I made in my life, that their lives will turn out like mine, because mm -hmm. inevitably it's not the case. 100%. But the truth is that on my 31st birthday, I married a man with a St. Christopher's medal nestled between his you know, chest, <laughs> and he didn't convert. He offered to convert prior to our marriage. And I said, nah, it doesn't matter. Kids will be Jewish anyway, and I'm not so interested. But some years into our marriage and two children later, my husband read in a magazine article that 
that he couldn't be buried beside me in a Jewish cemetery. And he was really upset about it. And I said, ah, what do you care? You know, we're going to be dead. <laughs> he was like, I'm like, what do you think? We're going to get some action underground there? Don't worry, you'll be dead. And I was thinking, and I'll be very thin too. Very, very thin. Skeletal, as a matter of fact. Anyway, so he said to me, he said, well, actually, um, I believe in God and I believe in the world to come. I just don't believe in the church. Hmm. And he said, so I'm going to look into this. I'm going to look into this. And if I don't like it, I'm not going to do anything. But if it's meaningful to me, I'm going to progress. And I said, that's fine. Just don't drag me along with you. I want to do I'm not interested. <laughs> I really was not interested. <laughs> and yet he went to study. And sadly for me, I had to go along with him. And he proceeded to convert not once, but twice. Wow. And so one day when I write my book, it'll be called My Catholic Husband Made Me a Jewish Girl. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Because of my husband's Messiris Nefesh, because of my husband's deep commitment to truth, I was also introduced to what I believe is the truth. And you never know where it's going to come from. But I can tell you that God has a plan mm -hmm. and it's outside of our imaginations. Yeah, definitely so. Does he have a plan? Amazing. Ooh. Amazing. So now this whole transition happens. And so tell us over the years you've been the past uh, well, a decade with JWRP. What is your role with JWRP specifically? So I began through my association with the Village Shul in Toronto. I was in the role of city leader or what they now call community leader, which meant that every year I took a bus of 50 women from Toronto to experience the trip. At the time, Lori Palatnik was the only trip leader, but they were expanding so exponentially that they needed another trip leader. And for years, Lori asked me to do it. And for years, I refused. Why? Yes, because I knew that it would require me being in Israel more than once a year. And mm. I wasn't prepared to leave my children at that point, right. which is ridiculous because you don't leave your children. You go away for your children. You come back a better mother, a better wife, a better partner, a better employer, whatever it is. You Great do. point. Yes. At any rate, I, um, I said no. And then finally, I agreed to do three trips a year as a freelancer. I would take the trip that I took with my synagogue, and then I would lead two separate trips that I was not part of the synagogue with. And my bosses agreed to allow me to do that. And then several years ago, close to three years ago, they offered me once again the position of trip leader and education leader within the organization. Mm. The timing was right. My kids were out of the house. My marriage was solid. And my husband agreed that he would come with me for the extended periods of time that I have to be in Israel for the trips. And so now I am a trip leader and education leader for the Jewish Women's Renaissance Project. And it's brought me around the world. I just got back actually from Pittsburgh, where I was for the Shabbat in the community that had the unfortunate massacre. Mm where I saw firsthand Yael, the incredible strength and unity that's possible in our community through these remarkable women who spent a weekend at a retreat reinforcing their identities. And I had the privilege to be their, their, their Shabbaton leader, um, educator, along with, of course, their Rabbitson. And it was... It was remarkable. Oh, but amazing. I've been this year to Australia. I was in South America. You know, I know Buenos Aires well now. I've been to Cuba. <laughs> I've been to Panama. And I have to tell you, in my last life, I was definitely Latin. a Latina. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I could see I that. I could even say alfajores. Ah, alfajores, yeah. yum. Mm. My favorite. Mm. I yeah. used to actually live in Buenos Aires when I was younger. 
What a community. Oof. Yes, yes, yes. There's that Latin special touch. So take us a little bit behind the scene because you're extreme. You travel all over the world. You have this incredibly powerful messages for women. Um, let me, I want to dig in a little b- deeper on how you create your content. How do you set aside time? Do you block aside time throughout the year to create? Does it happen on the go? I mean, how do all these talks and classes come to life? How do you birth them? Well, first of all, that's an excellent question that no one has ever asked me. Oh. <laughs> and um, so I'm thrilled to tell you, I think that there is wisdom and brilliance everywhere. And I personally, while I am a religious woman, I love the world. I love popular culture. I love science. I love literature. I love art. I love music. And my feeling is that the average human being does not always come in through the typical linguistical analytical intelligence that we see when we discuss the multiple intelligences. Mm -hmm. Some of us come in through music, some through art, some, you know, through, through movement, the kinesthetic intelligence that many people who practice sports or dance have. And so what I try to do is I try to find a piece of wisdom that is Torah based. And then I look to attach it to the secular wisdom that is current at the time so that I can show that the genesis of all of that secular wisdom, if you will, is based on our sources. And then I attempt to draw in other forms of intelligence and other forms of creativity in order to flesh out that principle so that the artist can see it and the, the, the musician can hear it and the intellectual analytical can hear it through language and assess it and so on. So I build my classes by living my life. My mm. work is not a job. My work is my life and my life is my work. And everything I see and read and do is fodder for sharing that which I just learned and discovered myself. Wow. How awesome. I'm, 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 I'm going to come and sit by you in your office and I'm going to write and get inspired just by being next to you. <laughs> you should know, Yael, that my office is my sofa. Drives my husband crazy because he sent me up a whole office in the basement. But I like to sit on the sofa, hunched over because I always have a sore back at the end of the day, over my laptops, piles of books, right. files everywhere. And that's my office. So you're welcome anywhere. And you can even come <laughs> under the blanket I'm sitting in. I'll rub your feet. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we would make a great team, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, we call it the two-headed camel in this house. One person at one end, one at the other, so two knees funny. up like a hump. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So Adrian, 30 years of marriage, um, you've both you've transitioned your lives within that marriage. I mean, so much you've raised your sons, you've, you've, you've achieved so much, you've made a pivot in your career. Three things that you would say to your younger self now that you've experienced so much. Wow. That I would say to my younger self. You mean based on the wisdom that I've learned? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess I would begin with Brene Brown, who is one of my favorite educators, who says that vulnerability is the birthplace of courage and creativity. I would say to my younger self not to hide in plain sight. Mm. I would tell her, to be fearless about expressing who she truly is and not create a construct so that I look like what the world needs me to look like. Because it was when I took ownership of the essence that's me that I started to make a difference in the world. The second thing I would tell her, because today, you know, the best pictures of me at 60 are not nearly as good as the worst pictures that I tore up of me at 30. Mm. I would say, enjoy youth. Enjoy the feeling 
of vitality, of energy. Now, this is not to say that I don't still have those things. I do. But I was always wishing the years away. From the time I was early as I can remember, I wanted to be older. I never felt there yet. I would say to that young woman, every moment of every day of every year is a gift. Don't wish any of it away. And the third thing I would tell my younger self was to trust that whatever you plant, nurture it in the way that you plant it, but don't attempt to manipulate it into something that it isn't. You can plant potatoes, but even if you treat them like they're tomatoes, you're still going to get potatoes. Mm -hmm. And as a mother, as a parent, to trust, not to worry so much about the stages and phases of your children's lives, but to trust that they will manifest if you give them unconditional love and morality that they will manifest into the beautiful creatures that they were always meant to be. Wow, I, I love this, those three powerful, I'm, I'm taking notes here. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, I can't help uh, but notice that, you know, it's amazing to see the hand of God and how our lives really, like you said before, everything happens for a reason and things come full circle. The fact that you had a career as a TV personality, um, your audience probably, I'm assuming, was primarily women. There must be so many elements, so many things that you learned throughout those years that Hashem had you go through that experience because they would translate into the tremendous success and then unique touch that you bring now to Jewish women. Um, would that be a fair statement? Would you agree with that? Wow, not only would I agree with it, I would tell you that you mentioned something that I hadn't even considered, Ooh, what? which was that my audience was primarily women. Mm. But instead of speaking about the outer garments, right, of their lives. Now I'm speaking about the inner garments of their soul. Ooh, thank you for that. Yes. It hadn't occurred to me. You're right. Same audience. Yes. Different set of garments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see how so many skills really translate into into your success. Well, I have to tell you that I finally have a good script. You can't get better than the Torah, that's for sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> you got the best <laughs> script writer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love it. You and I know, Adrian, that it starts with women, right? That's the hashtag for JWRP's momentum trip, meaning positive change in the Jewish world really starts with one woman at a time. We have tremendous potential. We really move the needle. Um, yet, and you meet so many women throughout the year from all over the world, which means you see our struggles, you see the shortcomings. What are some things um, that you see are our most common pitfalls or where you still see that we have room to grow to, to in order to fulfill and actualize this tremendous potential that women have? Where, where do you think there's, you know, those common things that you're still seeing that ugh, if we overcame like, and we are, we're probably almost there, but what would you say? Well, you don't gimp on your questions, do you? This is a seriously <laughs> difficult question. And you're asking me to answer it on one foot. Um, so I'm going to do my best, but I'm sure I could do much better if I had more time to really contemplate it. I would say that we don't get out of our own ways. Hmm. I would say that our compulsion with my old career, our sense of self-loathing, our fear and concern about how we physically present to the world prevents us from actualizing our greatness, which is an internal thing that you manifest, mm -hmm. but not dress. And I think so many of us 
live in a state of shame about our bodies, about our faces, about our hair, about about so many things, that we're crippled by that. And I think that that is one of the primary places. The second is related to that, and that would be the competitiveness. Mm-hmm. It would be the fact that we come from a place of scarcity, that we believe somehow that if I have it and I give it to you, that I will have less. Oh, thank you for addressing that. Yes. But just as the Torah teaches us that as a candle lights other candles, it loses none of its own flame. This is true of us. And when you connect to the eternal, when you connect to the almighty, when you connect to the infinite, then you have infinite ability. So I would say that the second thing is to tell people to stop being withholding Mm -hmm. and to trust there's enough for all of us. Yes. And to empower your fellow. That would be the second thing. And the third, I believe, would be to let go of the Hollywood mythology Hmm. about love and life, about happily ever after, about pointing at the end goal and not enjoying the journey. I would say that the most empowering way to live is to determine your greatness, not by what happens to you, but instead by who you are in the face of what happens to you, to be more process-driven and less result-oriented. In the Mishnah, it says, it is not upon you to complete the task, nor are you free to refrain from beginning it. Where there's much effort, there's much reward. Right. I believe if women were more driven by their effort and less seeking of reward, we would accomplish a whole lot more. Yes, reward and external approval. <laughs> yeah, those are the things. Those yes. are the things. Beautifully said. Adrian. was there ever a question? You've been on the stage so many years. Was there ever a question that the uh, from the audience that just left you like totally stunned? Huh. Stunned? Um, no, you know, often I hear the same questions over and over. They're just packaged they're, differently. <laughs> no, they're usually they're usually cliches, you know, and, and I hope I can be a little bit vulgar on your show. But you know, everybody wants to know about the hole in the sheet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and if we shave our heads under our shaitals, mm-hmm. under our wigs, um, people ask about sex a lot. Um, I think that the most difficult questions to ask are questions coming from people who are in pain. Oh, yes. And they are not really asking for answers because the Torah teaches us not to offer explanations or platitudes or even philosophical ideas when the corpse is in the room, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but rather to give comfort. So the difficult thing and the, the thing that always stymies me is when I hear a question, that's not really a question, it's a statement, and it essentially always revolves around why do bad things happen to good people? Yes, the pain. The pain is to be able to offer comfort as opposed to answering. And even if it makes me look like I don't have an answer, to resist the urge Mm -hmm. to answer a statement rather than a question. Beautiful, beautiful. Right. Because that that moment is not anymore about you or us as the speaker, but really is about giving that person what they need, which is just to be heard and the empathy and understanding. I love what you said. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. You put it even better than I did. (laughs) Adrian, what about a Jewish woman, a Jewish female role model? Do you have someone who you look up to tremendously that you could share with us? Oh, there are so, so many of them. Um, hmm. Well, I'm not going to give you the name of someone famous. Um, And there are many stock answers I could give you. I would have to say, wow, (laughs) I would have to say that when I look to wisdom, I look to Sarah Imenu, Mm. Sarah, 
our foremother because she had boundaries. She had what um, we learn in Kabbalah is called Gevura. Yes. Judgment. She was married to someone of tremendous chesed and kindness. Mm -hmm. She was able to see the world and the unfolding of the nation objectively was able to make hard decisions that would make her look unpopular and even unpleasant for the sake of the big picture. So usually when I need to make hard choices, I try and channel the spiritual DNA of my inner Sarah Menu. Mm. Yeah, that would be my Jewish role model more than anyone. You should know that she is my favorite, favorite character in all of Tanakh. Whenever somebody asks me about the Jewish woman in Tanakh, who's your favorite? It's Sarah. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yes. You want me to talk about a Jewish woman? I got Sarah covered. <laughs> it's so funny, you know, Yael, because my husband and I, the first Parsha we learned together, oh, 23 years ago, was um, Chaya Sarah. Yes. And so I think, I think it left a deep neuropathway yeah. in my brain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for me too. Actually, one of my first Devar Torahs that I had to write, and now I'm thinking it might have been the first when I was called up to, yes, which led to my career in speaking. Wow, this is weird. Wasn't Chaya Sarah. (laughs) Whoa, okay, I'm going to look into this. This is very interesting. (laughs) I think, you know, and I think it it, it explains a lot of why we're drawn to each other. I have such respect and admiration for you, for the work you do, for your transparency, for your honesty, you know, for your ability to take the disciplines of the outside world and relate them to Torah. I think you're a marvel. So let's both be Sarahs. What do you say? Oh, I love it. (laughs) Let's both be Sarahs on the couch, creating amazing content to change the world. (laughs) Yes, in the two-headed camel, because I have this incredible warm blanket here, and it's snowing like crazy in Toronto. Oh my gosh. Okay. I I won't tell you what temperature down here is like. Please don't. No, I won't. All right. All right. (laughs) If you had to define Judaism in one word, Mrs. Gold, what would that be? Um, Oh, wow. To define Judaism in one word, transformational. (gasps) Nice, nice. And that has been so true for your life, for my life, for the life of so many. And so many, and it is, it is totally transformational. My goodness. I love that. (sighs) I'm glad that came to me. I love that. It allows us to see the world from the inside out, not from the outside in. Don't you think? Beautiful. Yes. I don't know where that came from. I think Hashem dropped that on my tongue. I love it. But I do believe, I do believe that's what it is. I love it. All right. All right. You've been amazing. Let's wrap it up with what I call JLP fill in the blanks. Okay. So this is a fun part of the show where I'm going to give you an open-ended sentence and you're going to finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Don't overthink it. Okay. Oy vey. Oy vey. Oh, you're going to do great. Come on. First one off is I'm Adrian Gold and I feel most spiritual when... I'm walking in nature. Hmm, nice. My favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is? Shabbat. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? My second marriage to my husband. (gasps) Nice. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? That it was relevant and the source of wisdom. When I give tzedakah, I like to give to? Anyone who asks. Finally, I'm Sarah Adrian. Uh, you're not Sarah. No, oh, that was weird. I called you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, what's happening here? <laughs> Listeners, what's happening here? Ooh, whoa. I'm Adrian Gold. And today I'm most grateful for my family. Adrian Gold, 
This has been amazing. Thank you so much. You are such an inspiration. I can't wait to release this to the world. And uh, listeners, if you want to find more about Adrian, well, first off, go over to jwrp.org and figure out how you could join the Momentum Trip. Yes, please. And you can, of course, follow Adrian on Instagram. I saw you're on Instagram at Adrian Gold. Yes? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was just a delight. Oh, I had so much fun. I loved every minute of this. Thank you. You know what? You are a brilliant interviewer. I used to be an interviewer and you are better than I ever was. Thank oh, you. Wow. Thank you so much. Thanks to Adrian Gold for stopping by. Was she full of beautiful wisdom or what? To find out more about Adrian, you can follow her on Instagram at Adrian Gold. And if you're interested in participating in JWRP's Momentum Trip, head over to jwrp.org. All of this and more back at jewishlatinprincess.com where you can sign up for my newsletter to stay updated with everything happening, including my travels, speaking engagements, blog posts, and amazing offers for subscribers. Very often I promote products and services that I think will add value to your lives over there at the newsletter. So check it out. Happy to have you in there. If you like this episode, head over to iTunes and leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. I so appreciate all those nice reviews and I'm very, very proud of um, your ratings and the comments that you leave there. I also want to take this opportunity to thank listeners who have contributed to my daughter's fundraising campaign Hidon Drive you are so kind and generous thank you so much as of this recording both my daughter and son actually he, he I didn't tell you this before but he's also participating he's actually my oldest and it will be his third year participating in the beautiful international Sefer HaMitzvah Shabbaton there um, and my daughter will be participating this is her second year and they're almost fully funded and they are so excited it's so amazing to see their gratitude and their excitement. We are very grateful. If anybody wants to help them on this super Torah learning marathon, head over to chidondrive.com forward slash 140145 and enter the password chidondrive5779. Ladies, I hope you're having a beautiful, wonderful week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.